Greetings, friends and family. This is the weekend of Sunday, June the 28th, and we're going to continue to look at the Bible, Jesus in the mirror. Quickly, a, a review from last week. You know, you can't jam what Jesus accomplished into some uh, ethereal spiritualness just only. Um, it lives on the ground. It lives in the muck and the mire. It, it lives in the ground of things that are uncomfortable talking about. It lives in things like um, the marginalized, uh, minority subcultures, race, injustice, racial harmony. And so we, we are going to look at that. And the gospel is larger than we realize because God is is bigger than we could ever imagine. And last week we said that, that racial harmony and equality is one of the great themes of the Bible. And secondly, that Jesus not only taught on this but lived this, but he certainly taught on this a lot. And thirdly, um, a, a phrase that I, I first came across and heard um, this sermon, um, Matt Chandler, the Village Church, the, the third reason we need to address this is that every generation will drift toward what he calls the mirror. We drift toward the mirror. So we're going to dive in to week two of that. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be wholly pleasing and accepting in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start there in, in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see at the beginning of the text here that um, in Ephesians that the, the hostility and, and, and that the alienation existed between the ethnicities. That, that's how the text starts, hostility, hostility, alienation, being separate. And really the hostility is seen in multiple ways. First, there was the law itself. The law itself was unjust. We read in Acts chapter 10, 28, Peter at Cornelius' house. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So you have the law of the day that shows this hostility is present. And, and the second thing is, and the thing the ears of the Ephesians would have definitely perked up at is this idea of this dividing wall of hostility. In the 
Herodian temple first century, which was the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there were three courtyards with an inner courtyard. And if, if you were here for the tabernacle, the, the, the diaspora happened and Jerusalem was, was conquered and the Jews were scattered globally. And the temple in Jerusalem had an, an outer court that was for Gentiles and an inner court that was for Jewish women and an innermost court, which was for the Jewish men alone who had walked and certainly operated in the law in such a way that they were viewed by not just the, not just the written law, but the law, the sub-laws, all those numerous sub-laws of the time period. They, they and they alone were allowed in the inner court. And so when archaeologists discovered the Herodian temple and, and, and started digging out, they found on the outer wall, the Gentile wall, a sign built into the stone that, that basically said if a Gentile crossed that line, climbed over that fence, they would have no one to blame for their death but themselves. Now that's hostility. If the law says you're less of a human being than I am, so I can't associate with you because you might dirty me up in your ethnicity, that's, that's hostility. If there are places and spaces in which your color could get you killed, that's hostility. But what Jesus said, and what we see in his text, is that in the manifestation of Christ, by the blood of Christ, the walls of hostility, well, they're gone. And in their place, we have what he calls a new manner, a new humanity. So, we, so looking back at verse 15, how does, how does Jesus do this? Well, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, there are two Greek words for new. The Greek word for new in this text is the Greek word kainos. Here it's, here, here's its definition. It's of a new kind, unprecedented, unheard of. So don't think um, iPhone 11 or 15 or wherever we are with iPhones. You, you need to think about uh, uh, Mucci's first primitive phone. So you don't, know, don't need to think of the, the newest and latest. You have to think, this is unheard of. This is unprecedented. It's, it's something brand new. It's not a new car. It's the first car. So that's what the Greek word kainos is. So, so how has he torn down the wall of hostility? He's created a new man, a new people group, the people of God. Now let me tell you what this means and what this doesn't mean as believers as followers of Christ and those seeking to be about the gospel. What this doesn't mean is that we're colorblind. No, there, there is a celebration of God-given diversity like there's a celebration about the triune nature of our God. It's not that we don't see diversity and acknowledge it. It's that the church has been empowered to celebrate that diversity. I am more than a white man, meaning there is more to me than simply the color of my skin, but I'm not less than a white man. My name is Yon. I, I'm, I'm white. I just am what I am. I was born from white parents of Scottish and German-speaking Swiss descent. I'm just white. I'm more than that, but I'm not less than that. I, you know, we've looked at our heritage in, in that, and it, it's something to be celebrated. Yawns are to be celebrated. We, we celebrate our family in my family. It's what we are. But, of course, there is to us 
there's more to us than that too. Our, and, and our African-American brothers and sisters are more than that, but, but they're, they're not less than that. Our Latino brothers and sisters are, they're more than their Latinoness, but they're certainly not less than that. Our Asian brothers and sisters are more than that, but they're not less than that. What happens in the church of Jesus Christ is we celebrate our differences because we've been made one. If this is too hard for us conceptually, and it is, think, think about differences in our kids if you have children. Aren't those things to be celebrated and rejoice, those differences? Don't we draw out each of those good things and celebrate them? And where we don't understand, we seek to understand. One child does not have the right to speak for, define, and categorize the other children. That's what a house, that's what the household of faith is. It's a, it's a celebration of what Christ has done in making us one. So we're not colorblind. But we do celebrate the diversity that God has birthed among us as the people of God. Christ has done this. Man cannot do this. Jesus has torn down the walls of hostility. Christ has made a way for us to be different and yet celebrate our differences. And this is what the church of Jesus is, is called to. This is, this is what we have in common. So look at verse 18. For, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All of us have access to God the Father through the Spirit because of, because of the Son. And isn't even that sentence a celebration of diversity? Is not the Godhead diverse and that I have access to the Father through the Spirit by the Son? It's this beautiful dance in the Godhead. Not the same, but the same like his church, not the same, but the same, to be celebrated, rejoiced in. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here we go. I have more in common with a Chinese Christian than an unbelieving American. My ultimate citizenship is with the kingdom of God. That's not unpatriotic. That's being a follower of Jesus Christ. I am first and foremost a citizen of heaven, and I do believe that the United States, with its democratic republic, is the best plan of human beings for, for humans to, to flourish, and it will always falter. It will always have problems because there are just too many sinners involved, including, including me. There will be a day when the United States, where she ceases to exist, and the kingdom of God will not be shaken. Rome ruled the known world for 1,500 years, and for about 20 to 30 euros, you can walk through their ruins right now and see it. That means the United States is in diapers still, by the way, maybe toddler. We're to be good citizens, actively, actively involved in the systems and the structures in which God has placed us and, and given us life. But our allegiance is first and foremost to the kingdom of God. That is biblical. That is scriptural. That is the gospel. We are citizens of that kingdom and we belong to the household of faith, which means I have more in common as a white American believer with an African-American, Latino, Asian, Indian believer than I do with any unbelieving white man or woman on earth who would share the exact background and story. I have more in common with my brothers. I am more dedicated to my brothers and sisters. I have more allegiance to the kingdom than any other kingdom. We hold this in common. That's not all we hold in common. We're built on the same foundation. You see in verse 20, 
that we have to we have to talk about verse 21 verse 21 says in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord now let me tell you why we have to talk about that is it's the word grow it, it means we're growing but we're not there yet and and I think I think that's what I'm trying to say none of this is meant to be accusatory I'm, I'm not trying to guilt anyone I'm trying I'm talking to myself and if any of y'all need to listen then go ahead because we're growing and we're not there Every generation, every individual will have to face this head on and fight against the drift toward the mirror because this has always been the struggle. Even in the scriptures, when the Holy Spirit is breaking out right across the, the, the ancient world, it continues to be a struggle. In Acts chapter 10, right after Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius and the Spirit of God converts his whole house, Peter runs back to Jerusalem and he says, hey, I had this vision. The vision was this bacon sandwich it's calling to me. I was, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. But then God spoke to me and he said, hey, eat the sandwich. I was about to bite into the sandwich. And then there's a knock at the door. There's this Gentile there. He was an Italian man. He says, hey, man, an angel said to me, you have to check out this guy. So I followed because because of the angel. I was confused. I, I knew it was illegal. I knew it was illegal. God, forgive me. I know it's illegal. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I was just compelled by the Spirit. And I walked in and I said, this has to be of the Lord. And I just shared the gospel. I told them what Jesus had done. And in the middle, the Holy Spirit fell. The whole house was converted and they were all baptized. Guys, isn't that amazing? Their response to Peter, you, you did what? You went where? Whose house did you go into? We can read it in Acts chapter 11. This was a huge deal, and it was a huge deal to the, to the religious establishment, not because Gentiles were converted, but because Peter had associated with and entered into the home of a non-Jew. You see, this has always been the struggle. Will we, will we, will I, will you, will we be willing to struggle or deny that it, it exists or ridicule those in it or just simply commit the sin of being defensive about it? I'm not insert whatever you see Jesus was never defensive ever also in Acts chapter 11 great persecution breaks out against the church and the church scatters and now Jesus's last charge to them before he ascended was go into all the world and preach the gospel Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the ends of the earth I go with you tell everybody persecution happens they flee Jerusalem and who do they share the gospel with any guesses? Well, with Jews. They literally refuse to share the gospel with Gentiles. You see, this isn't new, and it won't be new to our kids. We're just going to try to move the ball along by asking the Spirit of God to shape and mold us in this day to be the people of God who are prophetic witness to the brokenness of the world around us. And here's the, here's the question that I think we have to ask. If we see in the Bible the promise of peace and the absence of hostility among ethnicities and race, and we see in our day instead unrest and hostility, then how are we to think as believers? Well, anytime the Word of God shows us the heart of God and we see an inconsistency in our lives and in our time, the response in the Scriptures and the response must always be repentance. 
but it can't be an ambiguous repentance. So, so what do we repent of? I mean, what have we done? What have I done? Well, I think the first thing we have to do on this issue is to look at ourselves. There's no real change until there's significant change in me. And the first thing I would ask us to consider is our own life and in our own life is if in every generation there's this drift toward the mirror, if in every generation our tendency is over a period of time to to have our dinner tables be filled with people who look just like us, to have our friendships be, be people who look just like us, to have one perspective, one point of view, one way of seeing the world, I would ask us to think about our table, those we do life with, those we walk with, we confide in, and those we ask questions of. Are we always just talking to ourselves in the mirror? Does everybody we do life with look just like us? And if so, that's a, that's a drift toward the mirror. We need to acknowledge that. It's not about guilt. It's just about acknowledgement. We don't need to be defensive. We are what we are. Everybody does this. Secondly, what are our inputs? By inputs, we mean the following. What, what are we reading? Who are the authors? Are they old white men? What do we watch? What do we listen to? What are the things that shape how we see the world around us? Is it all just the mirror? Are we constantly looking at the mirror? Or are we intentional about listening to and watching our brothers and sisters? And this is going to be a far more significant struggle for us, for white folks, than people of color. Because we're a majority culture, which means whenever our minority culture brothers and sisters go, wherever they go, they're looking at our culture. It's not about white guilt. This is about acknowledging that I live, I have a white Christian perspective. I have to be intentional about hearing a different Christian perspective. So what do we do? We have to do some thinking. Who's around my table? That can be very literal or that can be figurative. You decide. Am I always staring in the mirror? What are my inputs? Am I always just reinforcing my own way of thinking? The church is meant by the grace of God to be a prophetic witness to the culture, to be called out. But I think we're afraid. We're confused, perhaps angry and hurting for any number of legitimate reasons. Yet the church has always been meant to be a prophetic witness, a bold witness to the world. There's no sacred slash secular divide. Jesus Christ's reign and rule sits on top of every domain of every nation and every institution. We have been reconciled to Christ, and we are to be ministers of that reconciliation to the world. So wherever we go, we carry with us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation. Which means wherever we go, where we see things are out of step with the gospel, we bring the light of the gospel with our words, but more importantly with our lives. The idea that there are sacred spaces and and secular spaces is not biblical. Do, do we, do, in other words, there, there can't be a Christian muffler shop. There's not Christian music. There, there are Christians who run muffler shops. There are Christians who write and sing worship music. But music itself, mufflers themselves, campgrounds themselves, coffee shops themselves, well, they're neutral. What determines how what their usage is the prophetic passion and the witness of the people involved. 
the argument Dr. King is making is the, is the argument here, which means that Jesus Christ has come to preach good news to the poor, but also to lift up the poor. He's come to cure spiritual blindness while he heals physical blindness. He's come to liberate spiritual captives while he liberates physical captives. This sort of disembodiment, this, this box of the sacred here and the secular there, this ethereal Christian faith, it is not found in the Bible. It is real, it is touchable, it is tangible, it lives and moves and works in the muck and the mire of our life. Christian faith is lived on the ground every day waiting for glory. Are we living it out? Are we living it out? Are we burying our head in the sand of cable television news, somehow hoping for a quote-unquote Savior who's already come? His name is Jesus Christ. That is why we're at times unsatisfied. And at times, our worship is thin. May Jesus crush that. We've been called to such greater things, to bigger things. So may the tide of suffering and difficulty of all people, of black, white, brown, gray, purple, blue, whatever, be smashed on the rocks of the gospel of Jesus Christ so the church might be purified and refined for the great fight of God's glory in this day and age, 2020. It's our turn. Stare in the mirror. Look at each other. Or look around. It's going to require some different inputs, which is going to be humbling. It's going to require lots of vulnerability and listening. And it's going to require us wanting, longing, being passionate about, and being willing to sacrifice in order to be the prophetic witness of God in this day and age. Now, here's what's great. Here's what's amazing. The spirit of God that lives in you and me is all about these ends. This isn't going to be a mind over matter, womp it up, self-help initiative. No, we have been empowered by the spirit of God who dwells inside of us. All we have to do is walk in step with the spirit as he has revealed and continues to reveal the will of God in our lives, and in the scriptures. I'm eager for us to continue at Banner Oak Christian Fellowship, to strive, to continue striving as we have been doing to be this kind of community. Because Aslan is on the move, God is moving, and he is working. So come, Lord, come. Amen. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And friends, until we're together again, may God hold us all in the hollow of his hand. Amen. And God bless.